listening to the Motherhood Podcast, episode 21. I'm your host, Emily Carney. I'm an attorney, wife, mother of a two-year-old and a golden doodle puppy, and I live in Southern California. I'm your host, Lauren Michelle. I'm a wife, toddler boy mom, and medical student pursuing my MD here in California. When I'm not studying, you can find me chugging a lukewarm Americano, perfecting my iPhone photography skills, or yelling at my cats to stop scratching the couch. Gosh, I don't have anything cute to say like Lauren, but I love warm chocolate chip cookies out of the oven and walks in the sunshine. At Motherhood, we believe there is no way to be a perfect mom, but many ways to be a good one. We are committed to providing content that is judgment-free within the context of evidence-based research. Welcome to another episode of the Mother Good Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. And our topic for today is paid maternity leave, specifically short-term disability leave that's granted through the state of California. And we're also going to talk a little bit on public policy reasons for that, the handful of other states that also have paid leave and also potential federal paid leave. So even if you don't live in the state of California, you might find this episode very beneficial just for the public policy reasons and also... I don't know. I just find it pretty interesting myself how the state has set up the paid maternity leave. Our guest is Rebecca Hamilton, who is a fiscal consultant for the California State Senate. And it's really cool to talk with her because she knows a lot about the public policy reasons that California actually has for having state disability leave, because that's her job. And I just find it so fascinating. I know that I personally know a lot about short-term disability just because I'm an attorney and I do do some work in that area. And and disclaimer, this is not legal advice and may or may not be attorney advertising. I always have to give that disclaimer whenever I say I'm an attorney and talking about something. Anyway, I'm super passionate about this topic because every single woman deserves to take a break after having a child. It's a major medical condition that happens to her. And that's why it's even called disability (laughs) in the short-term disability law. And I also wanted to mention a few other things about California's short-term disability leave because we didn't mention it in this interview, but they're pretty key. So I just wanted you to know in case that you're self-employed or an independent contractor, I know a lot of our mom listeners actually have their own small businesses, which is awesome. So if you live in the state of California and you want to receive short-term disability leave after having your child, but you're self-employed or an independent contractor, there is a way for you to receive short-term disability through the state of California. And that's if you participate in, it's called the Disability Insurance Elective Coverage, the DIEC program. And that's for individuals who are not required to pay into the state disability insurance. We get into, you know, how you qualify for SDI. You know, it has to come from your paycheck if you work for an employer. But if if you work for yourself, you can actually elect to pay into this DIEC program. You can learn more about it um, on the state disability website. I'll link to it in the show notes for those of you who are self-employed or an independent contractor. Another aspect of short-term disability that we wanted to mention and Rebecca actually messaged me after saying that she meant to mention this during her interview, so she wanted me to tell all of you up front, was that you're actually eligible to take short-term disability 
if you are adopting or you have foster youth in your home or if you even suffered a miscarriage or a stillbirth. So that's all very helpful to know, especially if you're struggling and you really need to take off some time after having a miscarriage and also for the adoption and foster parent aspect. I know that we have a lot of listeners who are foster parents and adopted parents, so it's really good to know that there's that aspect of the SDI as well. This episode is all about state paid maternity leave in the state of California. So if you want to know all about it, what it is, how do you qualify for it, what are the different aspects of it, what's the public policy reasons behind it, this episode is for you. We don't really get into as much whether or not your job is protected because that's another topic for another day. I'll actually do another episode on that because it's really important that you're aware of your rights. So I will do another episode on that in the future, I promise. Uh, But I'm so excited to bring you this episode with Rebecca Hamilton. Before we jump into today's episode, I just wanted to briefly touch on a news article that I read recently about a pediatrician who is also a mother, and her son was watching a video on the YouTube Kids app. So it's an app specifically made for kids by YouTube, and he was watching Paw Patrol, and then suddenly her three-year-old son was terrified of what he was watching. And then when the mom looked at the video that he was watching on the app, that she saw that it was actually a video that had infiltrated the YouTube kids app somehow. It was an imposter Paw Patrol video that was doing terrible things and teaching kids to do terrible things. I won't go into details just in case you have little ears listening. And also, I don't want to cause you great anxiety. But anyway, after reading that article, it just greatly impressed on me the importance of parents monitoring their kids' online activity, even if they're using an app with the word kids in it, such as the YouTube Kids app. Now, supposedly YouTube has fixed that glitch, but I know I'm personally paranoid and always watch over my daughter's shoulder whenever she watches the occasional video on my phone. So today we have with us Tatanya Jordan of Bark, which is an app that monitors your kids' online presence, and they are today's podcast sponsor. So she's just going to briefly share with us the dangers that children face online. You know, at Bark, we monitor over 5 million children's devices and accounts across the nation. And I'm talking about 30 plus social media platforms, text messages, email, browser history, YouTube, all of that stuff. And It turns out that 80% of the time when we send an alert, the parents receiving that alert had no idea that there was even an issue with said uh, alert type um, until we brought it to their attention. And so it's, it's pretty staggering to just be a parent and hand your child a device and not really know what's going on when they're on the device um, outside of what you might see over their shoulder or if you pick up the phone or, or laptop or iPad and spot check it, which we also know is super ineffective. And so, I mean, where to begin? I mean, we publish an annual report every year. Um, in fact, over 2019, we analyzed more than 873.8 million messages across all the different you know platforms and texting, et cetera. And you know, over three fourths of teens and tweens uh, experience cyberbullying. Now, note this is either as a bully, victim, or witness. So it's not just everybody's being cyberbullied. You'll also see if your kid's being mean to you know another kid, which is uh, important to know. Um, the mental health statistics are are staggering. Um, over half of tweens and closer to three fourth of teens engaged in conversations about depression. Um, and, you know, suicide is the second leading cause of death now in 
children 10 to early 20s. And so it's, it's a real problem. And, you know, when you have a toddler, when you've got a kindergartner, you aren't, you're blissfully unaware as to what's around the bend, but come eight, nine, 10 and 11, you're there. And so you need to set the groundwork very, very early on, uh, to talk about things like, you know, it's okay to not be okay. And just like you might get a cold or, or scrape your knee. Um, sometimes your brain and your emotions can feel hurt too. And, and then, you know, segueing into sexual content, you know, well over three fourths of, of children, uh, with connected devices accounts encounter sexual content. And, uh, finally just online predators, they are real and they are pervasive. Well, definitely. The internet is a very scary place, especially for young children. Well, Titania, thank you so much for all the hard work that you do to make kids safe online. And with that, here is our amazing conversation with Rebecca Hamilton, all about state paid maternity leave in the state of California. We have Rebecca on the line here with us. So Rebecca, welcome to the Mother Good Podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I feel really honored. I mean, I love your guys' podcast and um, you've just, I've benefited greatly from a lot of your podcasts. So I just feel really honored to be here and hopefully share um, some of my knowledge about paid family leave. Well, we, we feel honored to have you on just because of your expertise and everything. So how about you tell us a little bit about yourself in 30 to 60 seconds, just basically an overview of who you are, um, you know, kind of outside your work before we delve into that? Sure. So I grew up in California, um, to college out on the East Coast, majored in philosophy. Um, and then I actually worked as a Catholic campus missionary for Focus, um, the Fellowship of Catholic University Students, um, for a few years. Um, and then after that, I pursued a master's degree in political philosophy and then kind of started my path towards um uh, the political and the public policy world. And then I am married, um, to my husband, Joseph. He works as a bridge engineer. Um, we live in Northern California and we have two children, um, John Paul William. And then our daughter is seven, seven months old, uh, Verity Anastasia. So, um, yeah, we live here. Um, my sister-in-law lives with us and, um, is our nanny. So we have really just amazing setup right now um, here. And yeah, like you said, I work public policy for the state Senate. Wow. I'm super jealous of your uh, child care setup. That sounds incredible. Um, and, you know, I'd love to hear a little bit more about some of your struggles and personal experience of motherhood. It's something we ask a lot of our guests if they're moms themselves. Um, and I think uh, it'd be awesome to hear a little more of that background before we dive into the nitty gritty details. Oh, definitely. Um, I, you know, I think the struggles for me were ones that really caught me off guard. Um, when I was pregnant, I did kind of all the research to prepare myself. Um, but for me, one of the biggest struggles was the postpartum period. Um, I, in childbirth, had um, some complications arise that um, made it so that there was some pretty significant pelvic floor issues going into postpartum. And that to me was just kind of this unexpected, you know, physical disability really that um, made 
kind of the entrance to motherhood really uh, <laughs> challenging at first. And so um, t- that's been one of the more unexpected ones. I mean, I will say that um, this is not what this episode is about, but um, pelvic floor therapy, I know you guys did an episode on that. That helped me tremendously, um, you know, just being able to uh, not get my body back, but have my body be functional, um, was huge, I think, in feeling successful as a mother and as a woman. Um, and then I think one of the other struggles that I've had is just how much having children opens your heart up and makes you so vulnerable. Um, I think the first time my son, who's now three, the first time he got, um, pretty sick, he got croup when he was four or five months old, I think, I mean, I just, I've never been someone to struggle with anxiety um, or anything like that. But my anxiety just was through the roof as far as what to do, you know, who to call, um, what if, what if this happens, what if that happens? Um, And so just, that's been a struggle to me, I think, is just allowing myself to be vulnerable and like love my children, um, but also you know, keep those anxieties in check. Yeah. Those are some of the struggles I think, but overall I felt tremendously blessed by motherhood. Um, and really surprised by how much I've loved being a mom and having a family. I think most moms can relate to everything that you said. And especially I know, as you mentioned that we've talked a lot about pelvic floor health and postpartum recovery. So that's definitely a big part of postpartum recovery. Um, So tell us about switching gears now to our topic for today of short-term disability insurance. And I know that that's a form of paid maternity leave in California, at least, that a lot of moms can qualify for. So maybe um, I know that it's a very complex subject, so I'm going to try to break it down in questions as much as possible and feel free to do the same in your answers. But let's maybe just start off high level and explain to moms exactly what short-term disability insurance is from a high-level overview. Sure. So from a high-level overview, I would say, well, it's not just me, but 88% of individuals, not just women, um, in California pay into what's called the state disability insurance fund. And so you'll see it on your paycheck for 98% of us. It'll have this little, usually about 1%, sometimes 0.9% coming out of your paycheck every single time. And so we actually pay into this um, fund that can then be used um, for uh, short-term disability um, for yourself or actually to take care of a loved one. So it can be um, used for pregnancy disability leave, which is one aspect of SDI. It can also be used for other disabilities, um, short-term disabilities. So that's kind of like a high-level um, overview of it. There's, there's kind of two different um, aspects of SDI. So there's the pregnancy disability leave, and then there's the paid family leave. They both come out of the same fund that I talked about that we um, all pay into, um, but they have different eligibility and different um, wage replacements. So for the um, pregnancy disability leave, you are eligible for four weeks before you give birth. And those four weeks can be used kind of at any point within um, your pregnancy. Um, So you have four weeks before, and then you have six weeks 
six to eight weeks afterwards, depending on whether you have um, a vaginal or a cesarean birth. So, um, so that is covered under the pregnancy disability leave, and you would receive fifty five percent of your um, of your salary. And it's tax free, right? I believe it is tax free, but I would I couldn't uh, bet my life on that. <laughs> okay, um, well I could. So okay. I know I know it's I. I know it's tax-free, at least for the SDI portion of it. So, and is it only um, for four weeks before and six to eight weeks after? Can't a mom qualify for up to like a year of it if she truly needs it as like a medical necessity? Yeah. So for the disability, there is, um, if it, even actually before you can qualify for more if it is a true medical necessity. Um, but there is also, if it's not, so you have the six weeks but then California also has the paid family family leave, which is considered kind of baby bonding time. And so that's an additional um, eight weeks as of um, July 1st, 2020. It'll be an additional eight weeks. That's and awesome. It's kind of, yeah, that's so great. Yeah. So you get eight weeks there. Um, and that's a new, the two weeks were added last year um, through the through the budget process. So, yeah. So, and as far as eligibility, um, it's a little bit different than the Family Medical Leave Act. You don't have to be working at your job for any number of weeks. Your employer doesn't have to be a certain size. Um, Really, if you have worked in California um, for three months, you you would be eligible to um, receive some sort of paid uh, family leave benefit. Um, they look back about 17 months. They'll look back at your wages and they'll take they'll they'll split up those 17 months into quarters and they'll take your highest quarter and then they'll base the 55% um, wage replacement off of that highest quarter. Um, so you actually could have been not working for the last three or four months and you could actually still um, receive paid family leave. I thought it was pretty shocking how generous the policy is and how much you can potentially get because I remember when I first got my my little notification on the website that, oh, you've qualified for a short-term disability. And I was shocked that it said up to a year. And I was like, what the heck? Like, why would a mom ever need short-term disability up to a year? And then, of course, I was like, oh, that's probably, you know, I don't know, people who are gaming the system or something like that. But then what's ironic is that I ended up using a big portion of that short-term disability just because of, you know, my postpartum recovery and everything, like I couldn't go back to work. So it is nice to know that if you do need beyond, you know, that initial six to eight weeks under the short-term disability that you could potentially get up to a year, you know, with obviously if you truly have a medical condition and with a doctor's note. So I think that's just so amazing. Absolutely. And I will say I previously mentioned those pelvic floor issues and I had an extension as well through going to a doctor um, and having them sign off and think Thank God for it, because I don't think I could have made the same recovery. I was back to work full time. I mean, just making all of those appointments and then making time to do the exercises. And then also with my pelvic floor in the state, it was just working full time. It just wasn't. Um, So, yeah, there is that extension. And then I also will note that you don't have to use um, the, the weeks. You don't have to use them consecutively. So if, you know, you feel like, oh, 
six weeks after my pregnancy disability leave, I feel totally fine to go back to work. You can go back to work and then you can draw down on those. Um, you can draw down on your paid family leave benefits at any time within a year of the, of the birth of your child. Um, and that also goes for fathers. So fathers are eligible, not eligible for pregnancy disability leave. Done. <laughs> I wonder why not. And the fathers are eligible for the paid family leave aspect to bond with the child. Um, and so they can draw down on those benefits and they can do it within any time in that year. So, you know, if they want to wait maybe until baby's a little bit older or if they want to take them right away to help mom out, I mean, it's it's very flexible um, in that regard. That's a really great, I think, 20,000 foot overview. Maybe um, we could talk now a little bit about the details of how a mom can qualify. And maybe if you could just walk us through that process a little bit, especially for first time moms. I know I had a lot of handholding from Emily when I was going through this at the same time as her. So I'm sure your expertise on the topic would be very helpful for a lot of people out there. Sure. So I, with SDI in California, it's actually pretty much all an online process. So there's a four-page form that you would fill out and submit online. And then there's a form, I believe... So when I did it, they did not have the online form. So I actually had to bring it to my doctor. And then my OB had a specialized person that just dealt with family leave. And so that person would fill out the form. And my doctor actually submitted it to the state. So for me, it was very easy as far as the forms to fill out. Um, And now it is all online. I I believe it's, I think they have their own website. I think it's sdionline.org. Yes. And we can put uh, the links to these for anyone who's in California in the show notes. So people don't have to Google around for it. We can put the specific links too. We just wanted to take a quick break and talk once again to Titania Jordan from Bark, who is our podcast sponsor, about why Bark is such an effective tool for monitoring your kid's presence online. So Titania, could you share with us why Bark is so much better than just looking over your kid's shoulder? Kids are accessing the internet and they're way savvier than we ever were or will be. Um, And so Bark is a great parenting tool. It's not a replacement for parenting, but it's it's a a great tool, much like a bicycle helmet or a seatbelt or a carbon monoxide detector. So Bark is technology that will run in the background of your children's devices and accounts. And it will alert you when your child has encountered dangers. I'm talking about dangers like cyberbullying, sexual content, thoughts of suicide and depression, potential drug use, online predators, acts of violence. And when they encounter that sort of content across social media or text messages or even, you know, on YouTube or in browser history, our technology will send you an alert as a parent via text or email. And we'll not only give you the problem, but thankfully, we'll also give you best recommended next steps for how to address these tough topics with your kids. What about pricing? I saw that it's a subscription base. So could you break it down for us? And how does that all work? Yeah. So Bark is $9 per family per month. So when you get started, you just go to www.bark.us. That's our website. And it's a free seven-day trial. So you don't have to pay anything up front. 
And um, yeah, no matter how many kids you have, no matter how many devices and accounts they have, it's just $9 per family per month. Well, thank you again for your invaluable service of monitoring kids online so that they can be safe. So thanks so much to Tanya. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This episode is also brought to you by Caribou. That's C-A-R-I-B-U. And it's an interactive video calling app where children can redraw and visit with their family members who are too far away to do that on a regular basis. Children can essentially read bedtime stories with grandparents, and they can also draw and do all these other really cool activities with them. I just downloaded the app myself, and it's essentially FaceTime meets Kindle for kids, where kids can call other family members and enjoy reading their books. And the app's library has thousands of books in eight languages with some of their favorite characters, for example, Thomas and Friends, Barbie, Sesame Street, etc. And Caribou even has coloring sheets that allows children to draw and color on the same screen in a real-time video call. The app has a free two-week trial and is offered as a monthly or yearly subscription or can even be sent as a gift subscription. You can find out more at caribou.com. I should differentiate between kind of two aspects of leave because there's wage replacement, which is what, you know, the disability insurance is, but then there's job protection. Yeah, that's a really great distinction because I know a lot of people confuse the two with like the FMLA because I think that's what most employers just say that, you know, they hand you the notice, which is what you're required to do by law and say, oh, here's your FMLA notice. I know that's what I got. And I was working at a firm at the time. And like, that's basically all I got. It's like, yep, you know, check mark off the box. We did our due diligence. We informed you of your rights, which is FMLA, but FMLA only protects your job. And then I know that California has additional laws that protect your job, but then that's different from being paid. So anyway, just a little bit background then uh, to kick it off on, uh, on your distinction that you're about to make, because it's really important. Definitely. I think, and I think you bring up a good point about the paid family leave um, aspect of your work not really giving you much information because that's been something that we've seen at the public policy level is that the um, people aren't taking it, not taking advantage, but people aren't using the program. And I think one, people don't know that the program exists. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they don't know at all. Like every woman I talk to has no idea about anything except for FMLA. And that's just what protects your job for like, what is it, 12 weeks after you have your baby and that's it. Exactly, exactly. Um, So that's been something the department that runs um, SDI and paid family leave, um, they contracted for kind of a, a public awareness campaign a few years ago, and they did see some good results from that. Um, so they're trying to kind of get the word out, encourage employers to um, let people know about this benefit that, like you said, we pay into. Um, so yeah, as far as the job protection goes, like you said, there's the Federal um, Family Medical Leave Act that gives you 12 weeks of protected leave. Um, and that usually when you, when you draw down SDI paid family leave, pregnancy disability benefits, the FMLA job protection will run concurrently with uh, drawing down those benefits. Um, But the the eligibility for FMLA is a little bit stricter than your paid family leave. So there's a lot of instances in California and probably other states that offer um, paid family leave benefits where you may be eligible for paid family leave, but your job is not protected. Um, And so that's another year to women wanting to take the paid family leave because, okay, great, I'm going to get 
you know, a percentage of my, of my salary, but I'm not going to have a job when I come back potentially. And so, um, with FMLA, you have to have worked at your job for a year and the, and the employer has to be of a certain size. I believe it's 50 employees. Um, so that's, that's for every state. California, of course, (laughs) California has its own, um, job protection act called the California family rights act. And, uh, it lowers the employee number to 20. So it's 20 employees. It's still a year that you have to have worked there. Um, and then they make a, a couple other changes to sort of broaden the eligibility a bit, but there still is that kind of restricted eligibility with the job protection piece. And just from a yeah, the, no, that's all excellent. That's that's so perfect. And just a side note too that a lot of um, empl- like women, female employees don't realize is that you can contract with your employer if they don't necessarily meet those qualifications to get your job protected. Um, so that's always an option too. That if you really want your job to be protected, and your if your employer promises you that they will protect your job, then then that's something that they're going to have to, even if they don't qualify. So that's something you could always negotiate with your employer. So again, not legal advice or anything, but just kind of like an FYI that you could always explore that avenue or potentially explore it if if your job isn't protected. Emily, is that something that you would need to work with an attorney to do if someone wanted to do that? Or are there ways to make a legally binding contract otherwise? I mean, obviously, it's always best to work with an attorney for something like that, um, just to make sure that, you know, all your I's are dotted, your T's are crossed and everything. But if if you trust your employer and, you know, they've basically said something to you in writing that they would hold promise to hold your job open, then, then you can make that decision for yourself, you know, whether or not you want to just trust them and go based off that, or if you want to just talk to a lawyer about it. So, but it, it never hurts to talk to a lawyer, you know, um, most lawyers will give you a free consultation. Um, again, not legal advice or solicitation, solicitation, but I just wanted to throw that out there that that's an option as well. That's super helpful. I, I appreciate being the the least informed party here in the sense that you guys are just such an awesome combo, knowing the public policy side of things and the law side of things. Yeah. So I'd like to talk more um, about like some of the public policy reasons, Rebecca, because I'm so fascinated with that aspect of it. What are, I guess, some of the discussions that go on behind closed doors? I mean, as much as obviously you can tell us, I know that probably most of that is confidential, but what is sort of the reasoning at the state level of why it's so important to have, uh, you know, paid maternity leave available for women who work? I mean, I think there's been, and and I will kind of uh, add a caveat that this is my my personal opinions um, or things that I hear um, at the Senate, and not a representation of you know the people that I work for specifically because um, I do work for elected officials. So um, I will say that what they have seen is improvements in um, infant health. Um, so there's been some studies that show that longer leaves um, reduce the number of infant hospital admissions. Um, and increases the number of infants um, meeting the CDC vaccination schedule. Um, And then, I mean, maternal health, I think they've seen studies on specifically on postpartum um, depression and anxiety. Um, And then uh, the the labor market um, discussion at a public policy level, there's, there's actually data on both sides as far as whether uh, paid leave um, increases a woman's um, 
likelihood to stay in the market, um, the labor market. So I've actually seen data on both sides saying, yes, this helps a woman kind of stay in her job or continue on her career track. And then I've also seen um, data suggesting the opposite. So it's hard sometimes to get sort of data on these things because it's not something that it's easy to study. Um, but I think the things that have, have the strongest evidence are um, health benefits to the mother, both mental and physical, and then also health benefits for the infant. Um, I mean, there's a ton of research out there on bonding with um, a, a parents and kind of the lifelong effects that that has and kind of starting out your family. I mean, we talked about all the struggles of motherhood at first, especially those first couple of weeks. And, um, you know... I personally think it would be extremely difficult to go back to work at six weeks postpartum just emotionally. And then for me, this isn't every woman, but for me and for a lot of women physically, six weeks is, um, and, and I think those two blend together, right? So the physical aspect for me, mm-hmm. being how old was I when I had my son? 29? I was 29. And oh yeah, that's how old I was too. Yeah. You know, I think I'm 29 years old and I mean, I'm going to get real vulnerable here, but I'm 29 and I'm wearing adult diapers. <laughs> Is this going to be right. my life forever? And, you know, just emotionally. And thank God that pelvic floor therapy has gotten me to a place where that is no longer my reality. But emotionally to have to return to work and um, I think... You know, I think there's an argument that uh, the actual disability piece could be longer, that women need longer. I think the medical field has been saying this for years that, you know, full recovery for a woman after pregnancy is not till I think the, I think a year is what I've read. Oh, yeah. And and I'll say, too, um, as someone who had I did have a C-section and I was given the eight weeks and I, I felt pretty much back to normal by about five or six weeks, which is I don't think typical. I think I was just 25 and bounced back quickly. But mentally, I know I was in such a mental fog. Not only are you sleep deprived, but your hormones and your brain. I mean, the whole axis of your brain and your hormones communicating um, and kind of reestablishing that hormonal axis, it takes definitely longer than six to eight weeks for your cycle to normalize. It takes months and even a year, like you mentioned. So expecting people to bounce back to work after six or eight weeks from such a major physical and mental event is kind of astounding to me, but that's yeah. right now. Yeah, definitely. And then apart from the you know, the medical aspect that you were saying, Lauren, that Rebecca, I'm with you that I, I couldn't physically go back to work um, at six to eight weeks after just because I, I could barely walk. So I needed physical therapy and everything. But I don't know if you guys saw, but there's actually on social media an ad circulating that was rejected by the Oscars. Basically, the Oscars were saying that you can't advertise you can't air this commercial during the Oscars. And it was showing a woman in diapers and all those raw moments that you're talking about, Rebecca, like just walking around when your baby's screaming their head off and then you're trying to get to the bathroom to hurry up and go to the bathroom, like sit on the toilet, you know, change all your, you know, postpartum-ish stuff and everything. Um, I think it was an ad from the Frida company that makes all the, you know, the postpartum. Yeah, uh, yeah, you sent that to everything, But we can link to that in the show notes too if you want to see something that's pretty raw. But it's sad that it was 
rejected. I know that I guess they have some rule of like, they won't, a list of things that you can't advertise for during the Oscars. And um, one of them was like feminine hygiene products and something like that. But I, I was like, you know what, the, it would be refreshing to see another side of womanhood besides just sexy, you know, not that that's bad or anything that women can be sexy, but on the other side, like there's a lot of non-sexy moments of motherhood and that includes walking around in diapers. So Yes. <laughs> yeah. I love their products, the Frida, the nose Frida and all of those products. Oh, they're lifesavers. Yeah. Especially the nose sucker thing. Oh, um, yeah. As Emily said, we can definitely link that in the show notes. I think that's um, a really awesome thing for, I think, I think it should be more widely um, visible because people are in for a shock. I feel like women, first time moms. So it's always good to see the more raw side of things. I was wondering if you could perhaps get into a conversation about other states' short-term disability as much as you know. I know you obviously work for the California State Senate, but um, and obviously California is a great state to live in um, in terms of these laws. But maybe if you could just speak a little bit to what other states are like. I know we have listeners in different states who might be curious about their state and maybe where they could go for more information. Absolutely. So the other states that have kind of a wage replacement system are Washington. Well, I guess Washington, D.C. is not a state, but Washington, D.C., Massachusetts, um, Washington State, New Jersey, Rhode Island, and um, New York. And so their programs um, differ as far as how many weeks of leave. So the most generous is um, our Massachusetts and Washington State offer um, 12 weeks of, uh, of uh, paid family leave. Um, and, well, it's not more generous than California, but of the, of the other states. Um, Washington State also offers a 90% um, wage replacement, which is quite generous um, compared to California's wage replacement. Um, Rhode Island offers four weeks. New Jersey offers six weeks. Um, those are both about the same wage replacements as California. Um, and then as far as more information, it's actually really difficult to find um kind of up-to-date information, even in just kind of looking in for this episode, looking at trying to find the different states. A lot of the websites I found didn't even include Washington State because they just recently um, instituted this. But I would say probably the best aggregate where they kind of draw everything from the states is a website. It's ncsl.org. Um, and they they sort of do what's called legis briefs, um, where they do an overview of all the different states and what they offer. And so their most recent one was from August 2017, and it kind of runs through um, the different states that, that offer paid family leave and then kind of the federal stuff. For Washington State, they actually do have a really great website. Uh, I'm Googling it right now because I was on it last night. And it's very like user-friendly. Um, but I think if you probably Google Washington State, paid family leave. Um, and hopefully we can just link that um, in the show notes. But I, if you live in any of those states that I mentioned to just Google the state with paid family leave or um, uh, pregnancy disability leave um, and, and your specific state, I mean, every state runs it a little bit differently as far as how it's paid for, who administers it, uh, like which department. Um, and I don't have intimate knowledge of the other states, but um, but hopefully for everyone listening, if your state was listed, um, you are on there. And I will say it's only 14% of, of 
U.S. workers that have access to paid family leave. So I think there is, you know, room for other states to sort of look at um, this model. Um, and and I do I do think this model is um, a good way to go about it because we're paying into these benefits that we're drawing down. And it's also the disability insurance, um, 85% of SDI is actually taken not by pregnancy or paid family leave claims, but for, you know, other short-term disabilities or for taking care of a family member that may be going through chemotherapy. So, so it's, it's, it's a benefit that's paid for by everybody and everybody, um, will probably have a situation in their life where they can draw down. So it's not just limited to, um, you know, you, you don't have someone who's paying in that is totally uneligible um, for, for it. So I think it's a good, from a public policy perspective, I think it's a good setup where you have broad um, people broadly paying in and then people broadly being able to benefit. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it because I think um, there's a few people that think that, you know, you're just taking from the system or whatnot, but you're actually, everyone who's taking from it has paid into it, in, you know, in order to qualify to take out of it. So it's, you're basically paying your future self, but I love some of that pol- public policy reasoning. Um, do you know anything about the the proposed federal parental leave? And I, I know that recently um, paid parental leave was approved for like federal workers. Um, do you know anything about that? And then also the potential paid leave at the at the federal level? I saw the 12 weeks for the federal workers. Um, but I admit, I don't know very much about the proposed um, program. I it's I, I mainly pay attention to state politi- politics and policy because it's, you know, it's so all encompassing. Um, so I couldn't uh, really talk about kind of what's been proposed on the federal level. I know it was part of, I believe it was part of the president's first budget that he proposed in office. He had, he did have some paid, but it didn't actually, I mean, the president's budget is kind of just his, um, here's what I would like, but that doesn't mean that actually ends up in, um, and so I, yeah, I I can't speak. I, I don't want to speak on it because yeah, I no, no worries at all. <laughs> yeah. And I know that, that changes all the time too at the federal level. It's like it's one thing one day, one thing the next day. So it, it would probably be a full time job to stay on top of all that. <laughs> yeah, it's a full time job to stay on top of how the budget works in California. And so, <laughs> so I, I guess is um, there anything else that we miss that you feel like we should? talk about short-term disability insurance or that any of our listeners should be aware of or any common misconceptions about it? Um, I think, you know, we talked about that eligibility, that it's it's a lot more broad than women may think. And so I would say just um, hopping, if you're in California, it's the um, Employment Development Department that runs, EDD runs the program. So just hopping on their website and you can check your eligibility on the website. Um, you know, I think maybe you think you're not eligible, but you could be. Um, and then I think the other thing I didn't really mention is that the wage replacements are actually different. So for pregnancy disability leave, it's 55% of your um, salary, but then for the paid family leave portion, it's actually 60%. 
And then it's 70% if you are um, low at lower income. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. But if you are um, low income, it's a higher replacement rate, which I think is really great because I think that's one of the barriers to people applying. It's like, well, great. I get 50% of my paycheck. But, you know, if you're a single mom or if you're the primary breadwinner, you know, how are you going to, or if you're really depending on that full paycheck, it's, it's effectively not a benefit then. Right. Exactly. So that makes sense if you're in the um, lower income brackets and then essentially like the lower taxable brackets that it would be higher. So yeah. that And then when you earn more, you're taxed more. So then you, since it's tax-free money that you're getting, it kind of works out to be closer to the same, I guess, if you, if you make it turn out that way. So Exactly. The, um, the, I mentioned the California Family Rights Act um, for job protection. It also has 12 weeks of baby bonding, job protected leave. That's unpaid, but that stacks on top of the 12 weeks from the Fed, from the federal government, the FMLA. Um, so when you add up all of the different options for a woman in California and possibly in these other states, you're looking at up to seven months um, without a doctor's notice, just seven months um, guaranteed. Um, some of that paid, some of that not paid. So that's just the right. Kind of- yeah, seven months protected, but then not necessarily <laughs> all paid, depending on your circumstances. So I think the only other thing I would add is that I, I think you had this as one of your questions um, that there are some employers that offer their own programs. And um, in California, they can actually opt out of the SDI program if they offer benefits that are at least as good as the state benefits. And then they have to offer one thing that's better. So an example is like Netflix. They have they offer a full, I believe, a full year of paid um, leave. And so they can actually opt out of the SDI program, which means that their employers could not have to pay in that 1% out of their paycheck. I'm not sure. Maybe Netflix has their own like internal something that they take out of their, their paycheck, but they can't take more than 1% if they're going to do their own program. They can't take more than the state does. And they can also choose to just kind of offer that as a benefit to their employees. So their employees could be paying nothing in and be able to take a year. So I also mentioned that, that some, some employers um, are not part of SDI, but that, that usually means that they offer even better benefits. <laughs> but it's definitely a, a step in the right direction, I think, for other states to follow in, in these few states' uh, steps, because I think that's so important from, as we talked about, a medical perspective, a psychological perspective in the mother-infant health. I think um, we're really lucky to live in a state that has laws like this. Thanks so much for all that information on short-term disability insurance. I, yeah, I just love hearing the public policy reasoning and then also just having you explain it, you know, from the horse's mouth, so to speak, what short-term disability insurance is, is so great. Um, I guess switching to the personal side, um, what we always ask every single mom who's a guest on this show, and since you're a listener too, I guess you probably already know this question, but what is an example of a time when you realize it's okay to not be a perfect mom and it's okay to be a good one instead? Yeah, I love this question. Um, I feel like when I was thinking about it, um, my the first thing I thought of was last night. Um, I was just exhausted and I told my husband, you know, I just need to go lay down um, for an hour or so can you make dinner? And I usually do most of the cooking in our household. I really enjoy it. It's something I love to do. Um, and my, so my husband's kind of cooking repertoire is not 
not broad, mainly because I like to do the cooking. <laughs> and so I said, you know what? There's bacon in the fridge. Just do bacon and eggs. I just need to go lay down. Um, I think I was coming down. I think I might be coming down with a little bit of a cold. And so, um, yeah, I just went down. I just went and lay down and the kids were playing. And part of me felt this huge guilt because I am a working mom. I'm gone from them eight hours, nine hours a day during the week. And so the weekends, you know, I feel like I have to spend every single second with them. But, um, you know, even before I had kids and wasn't exhausted, the weekends really were that time to like recharge the batteries. And so last night I just realized I haven't recharged my batteries at all this weekend. It's just been go, 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 or, or playing with the kids or, you know, church and then getting ready to go camping next weekend, you know, trying to just be everything on the weekends. Um, I just needed that time to just relax and be in the room, my room by myself. And so letting go of control and letting my husband do the cooking, you know, maybe it's not exactly what I would have served or done or whatever. And just, you know, he brought me the food in my room and I ate in my room and then joined, joined them after I had about two hours of rest. And I just think, you know, I can strive and strive to be this perfect mom to serve all organic food to always be present to my kids. But I feel like when I, when I'm always pushing myself to be that, I'm not loving. I'm not a loving person. I'm like trying to produce this product and trying to be the perfect, you know, have the perfect prepared environment or have the perfect food. And then I forget the kind of love aspect and like I need to take care of myself so that I can be loving and not um, feel um, short tempered and kind of irritated. And so for me, just taking that time away from my kids, even though I'm away from them during the week, um, taking that time to recharge helps me be a good mom. Um, and so just forgetting about being a perfect mom, I really love your podcast kind of saying no to the perfect. That was very inspiring. And so, yeah, I think, you know, making sure taking time for yourself is really important. I think it's a key that you not only recognize that you needed that space, but you were able to communicate that to your husband too. I think that shows a high level of emotional awareness. That's really important for moms, because like you said, it's so easy to forget about our own needs and to just keep going even on the weekend when it's theoretically a break. Um, it's really not for parents. So I think what you said there is so, so relatable. Yes, definitely. I, I gave myself an hour timeout in a room upstairs myself this past weekend so I can completely relate <laughs> <Show> that time out <laughs> yeah well thank you so much Rebecca I really enjoyed finally getting to chat with you um you know I know that we've been talking a lot online and on social media so thanks so much for taking the time to do this episode and we really appreciate it so much thank you Rebecca absolutely thank you so much for having me on I really appreciate it